Well, good morning again. It's really good to have uh, you here with us. Again, I know I've met a, a few uh, newcomers this morning, and especially if you're new to West Hills, um, we just want to especially welcome you. And the backside of that prayer card that uh, Emily mentioned in your bulletin is um, new to West Hills information sheet, and so I just encourage you to fill that out uh, if you would, and um, we'd love to just connect with you more, get you more info about who we are and what we do and uh, how we can um, minister to you specifically and hopefully minister with you to our community to reach them for the gospel. And so, um, as I said, my name is Will Duvall, I'm the associate pastor here. This is my last uh, Sunday being able to um, uh, preach for a while and, and share God's word with you. Uh, Pastor Gary will be back next week. If you've been here with us, um, we've been in a sermon series in Nehemiah for, gosh, I think 10 or 11 weeks now, nine weeks maybe, and, and um, this is my fifth and, like I said, final week preaching, and um, it's, it will catch you up. Don't worry. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll jump right in. Um, kids, I want to specifically uh, recognize, again, that we have the kids in with us. This is always one of my favorite Sundays of the month, typically our last Sunday of the month when we have our, our kids in and join us for the service. I just love the energy. I love, uh, it, it makes me try extra hard to keep your attention, which is probably good for the adults too. Um, so uh, kids, I want to I wanna give you all a specific challenge this morning. So I know you've got your kids' bags, so you can, you can do that. But um, I will hook you up with a pretty sweet prize this morning for um, the, the kid who can uh, answer the most fill-in-the-blanks from the bulletin before I actually give them to you. That's the challenge this morning. I like playing this game when Pastor Gary preaches where I go through and I read the passage we're about to read ahead of time and I try and fill in the words. And so I'm gonna let you play that and hopefully that'll be a fun little game for you. You can read ahead and try and answer these questions. You, you can get a little bit of help from parents. There's one or two uh, uh, answers that might be a little bit outside your vocabulary right now, but I'll tell you, they're all just one word answers and they're all gonna start with the letter R, okay? So I, that'll give you a couple hints at least. Um, so, so kids, that's, that's your, your thing. And parents, you can help them, um, you can help me kind of check them, make sure they're actually writing this down before I give the answer, all right? So hopefully that'll be fun. Now, despite that fun, uh, this morning's topic is not going to be the most fun, um, but it is really, really important, okay? The topic for the, this morning, as you, you see in your bulletin, is confession. Uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 9, um, and before we even get started, despite the fact that we're talking about confess, confessing sin and a, and a kind of a heavy topic, um, I want to start by reminding us of last week's message and of the proper order of our responses to the truth of God's word. So if you'll remember with me back to chapter 8, the very first immediate reaction of the community, of God's people, to hearing God's law uh, uh, preached and read again was what? Mourning. It was sadness. And then their, their priests and their leaders have to correct them and rebuke them, exhort them, and tell them to do what instead? This was last week's message. Celebrate. To rejoice instead, because this day is holy unto God. It's, this day is more about God's faithfulness than it is about your faithlessness. And so once you've done that, once you've, you've started by focusing on who God is, on his goodness, his mercy, his salvation, celebrating him for that, then we can go about recognizing that, yes, we have sin and we need to confess and we need to repent. But first and foremost, it's always about God and who he is. And so that's totally backwards. I just want to start with that because I think that's totally backwards than how most of us think of this relationship between confession and celebration. I think if you were like me, many of us grew up probably being taught first thing you have to do is confess all your sins. It's the ABCs of, of confession. What are they? Admit your sin, believe in Jesus, confess him as Lord. Then you can be saved. Starts with you. That's the problem. The problem with that is it starts with you. It starts with you admitting your sin, confessing. And what Nehemiah tells us here this morning is that salvation always starts with God. It doesn't start with us. 
before you can even come close to acknowledging the depth of your sin, much less actually repenting of all of your sin, you have to first recognize just all, all you can do is simply understand and accept and celebrate what God has already done for you 2,000 years ago in the person and work of Jesus. So I want to start with that this morning to frame this whole conversation of confession. And the paradox of confession is that the more we actually come to a deeper awareness of our own sin and the gap between us, sinful us, and a holy, perfect God, the more we gain a greater appreciation for the magnitude of what Christ has done for us. And the more we can actually come to celebrate him. I've, sh- I've shared this illustration with you all before, but I think it's so good. I just want it to... to be seared into your memories and in your hearts, if we've got that graphic, Karen. Um, this is from The Cross-Centered Life, great book. This, this illustration, we make much of Jesus in two ways. First of all, yes, by worshiping God for his holiness, but second of all, by, by a deep, deeper awareness of our sin. The more we come to understand just how sinful and fallen and broken and unworthy we are, and yet how accepted and loved and chosen and not forsaken and all the things we just sang about, the more we worship him. We make much of Jesus. And that is why fundamentally confessing our sin is so important. Our confession even is not primarily about us. You realize that? Our confession is not primarily about us. It's about Jesus. It's, about, it's, it's not about beating ourselves up or about psyching ourselves up and, and the therapeutic benefits of getting sin off of your chest. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about saying, Jesus, I need the kind of forgiveness and the kind of redemption and restoration that only you can offer. I need your strength to be made perfect in my weakness in this area of my life. And I will give you the glory for doing it because it's got to be your work, not mine. Here's what Scripture itself says about the importance of confession. Most most famously, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. You probably have heard this before or recognize it, memorize it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. James 5.16 says, goes beyond that, confess your sins to one another. We'll talk about that more later. Even in the Old Testament, we go back to the Old Testament, this idea of confession. Proverbs 28, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And then Psalm 32, finally, I acknowledge my sin to you, I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And this morning, Nehemiah 9 is going to give us an outline for how we can go about actually doing that. And specifically, I see seven distinct steps or movements of confession here in chapter 9 that are laid out sequentially from verses 1 through 5. And then in the final verse in in verse 38, bookends. And the bulk of the chapter, verses 6 through 37, is a lengthy prayer by the Levites, their leaders, in which they essentially retell the story of Israel's history from creation to the present in the 5th century BC. And since that's what we did last uh, two weeks ago together, we, we, we retold, and you remember when we showed the video, and we just retold God's story through Scripture, Um, We're not going to read that entire section together, but go back and read it for yourselves. We will pull certain verses from that section, verses 6 through uh, 37. And in keeping with the text this morning, um, I'm going to ask you to do something, go out on a limb a little bit this morning, but in keeping with the text and in keeping with the spirit of how the people read the law in chapter 8, and then they study the law in verses 9 through 18 of chapter 8, and, and now they're going back and again In chapter 9, they're going to apply the law specifically to these areas of sin in their lives where they've fallen short. In keeping with that, I want to give us the opportunity this morning, this is why I asked Scott not to actually allot time for uh, confession together this morning. We're actually going to do that for the duration of the sermon. We're going to walk through these seven movements of confession uh, together. And so if you would personally respond and apply what we're studying here this morning. Uh, We'll start that, we'll actually start before we jump into the passage. 
If you've got a pen, I ask the, welcome to the ushers to make sure we've got plenty of pens in the backs of chairs. You've got your bulletin. Just somewhere at the top of your bulletin, like maybe even under the title of the sermon or whatever, if you would just prayerfully reflect for just a moment, and then if you would write down, I'm not going to ask you to share this with, with anyone, I promise. Right now, I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor. This is between you and God for now. I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor at all, um, just to be clear. I, I, I am going to ask you to share with someone, but not, not right now. We're going to work up to that. Um, this is between you and God. Would you write down, would you prayerfully reflect and write down a sin in your life right now that you need to confess this morning? Don't just think about it. Write it down. There's power in writing it down. It's out there. It's externalized. And we're going to keep coming back to it this morning. So write it down. Prayerfully reflect what is a sin that you need to confess to the Lord this morning. Don't put your name on your bulletin just in case you're worried about it falling out of your Bible or something. Again, it's just between you and God. But spend a moment and and write that down. Everybody got something? Okay. If you don't, keep thinking about it. Keep praying about it. (laughs) Write it down as we read here. Would you stand with me as you're able, out of respect for the reading of God's word? We're going to read Nehemiah 9, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 38. I'll read it, and you can just read along silently. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenaniah. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Beni, Hashab, I didn't practice these words, these names before, I'm sorry. Hashabnia, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit be heavy and present in this place this morning, that you would free me from any temptation to use my words or my emotion or anything to convict anyone this morning, but that your word alone, your truth, your Holy Spirit would be the one to touch hearts this morning, and I pray that you would. I pray that someone who needs to be set free and released from the bondage of sin this morning would learn the power of confession through your word, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, can be seated. All right, movement number one of confession is remorse. Remorse. How we doing, kids? Anybody one for one? Remorse. That's, that's probably the, the, the biggest word. If you didn't get it, don't worry. You'll get some of these. In verse 1, we hear, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. This 
confession here begins with their observance of an Old Testament sacrament. That's what this is. It's a sacrament. It is an outward, visible symbol of an internal, invisible reality, spiritual reality that personally I think we need to bring back today. I think we should bring this symbol back of our remorsefulness of sin demonstrated by wearing sackcloth and rubbing ashes on your head. It is a thoroughly biblical sacrament. Esther 4, Jonah 3, Lamentations 2, lots of other passages. It's a sacrament that Jesus himself affirms in Matthew 11 and Luke chapter uh, chapter 10. And I just ask, has anyone here ever worn sackcloth? Have you ever tried this? Have you ever felt sackcloth? You know what sackcloth is? Imagine just like your most uncomfortable wool sweater and multiply it by like 100, and that's sackcloth. It's uncomfortable to the point of being painful. That's the point. And the dirt and the ashes on our heads are there to remind us that from dust we were made and to dust we shall return. Our inevitable deaths are the rightful wages that we have earned for ourselves by virtue of our sinful rebellion against God. That is the word picture. And the point is, you can't truly confess something that you haven't truly been broken over. You can't truly confess something that you have not truly been broken over. If our confession is going to mean anything, we must first feel just a fraction of the degree to which our sin breaks the heart of God, our Father. And to the extent that God's heart breaks over our sin, then so too our own hearts ought to be broken over it. James puts it this this way in chapter 4. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. But, friends, this morning, it's not all gloom and doom because the good news of the gospel is that we can now, as a New Testament people, we still grieve our sin, but we do it unreluctantly because we know the results of such grief. 2 Corinthians 7, whereas worldly grief produces death, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That's the good news this morning, that our awareness of sin ought to move us from remorse to repentance, which always leads to rescue on God's part for our behalf. Remorse leads to repentance, leads to rescue. And that's good news. So I encourage you this morning, before we just rush through these steps, take a moment, prayerfully consider this morning, the thing that you wrote down in your bulletin, if you don't have something yet, write it now. The thing that you've got written there, have I truly experienced remorse over this sin. And I, I know biblically, I understand that it is sin, but have I actually considered what it does to my father's heart? This past week, we had a milestone in our, in our home and not the kind that you want to celebrate. Ellery told me her first lie this last week. I mean, she's told, you know, but, but intentional, bold-faced lie. I won't tell you the whole story because it'll make me cry again, but I will tell you, it breaks a father's heart when his daughter, who he wants nothing more than, than purity and innocence and goodness to be a part of her heart and her life, when she lies, when she sins. That's a fraction of what God feels for over our sin. It breaks his heart. Genesis 6, Psalm 78, Ephesians 4, our sin grieves our father's heart. So I want to give you a moment this morning to humble yourself and try and experience that fraction of what God experiences over your sin and let your heart break in the way that his has. Movement number two of confession. Ushers, if we need to replenish the tissues this morning, be ready. Movement number two is repent. Verse two, we hear, the Israelites separated themselves 
from all foreigners. What does that mean? What does it mean? What are they doing? They separate themselves from foreigners. Well, consider how much of the Israelites' sin was bound up in their association with foreigners. God's original covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12 was what? Uh, they, they remind themselves of it in verse 7 here in Nehemiah 9. They say, you brought him out of your of the Chaldeans. God says, I am calling you out of these other nations to be a people for myself, distinct, set apart, holy unto me, to make a name for myself, verse 10, he says. And virtually every sin that we hear about the Israelites committing has to do with them forgetting and neglecting their called outedness and instead wanting to be like the surrounding nations. Verse 17, they say, we, we wanted to be back in Egypt, even if it meant being slaves again. We wanted to be back in Egypt. Verse 18, so we made a golden calf so we could have tangible gods, idols like the other nations. We wanted gods of our, our own making and our own choosing. Verse 26, they cast your law behind their back, our ancestors. Think of the recurring refrain from the kings and the chronicles about the evil kings there. They failed to tear down the high places and the Asherah pole and the altar of Baal. They sinned, the, the people were sinning specifically by worshiping, going after all these foreign gods. They wanted to be like the other nations. They, they were breaking commandments one and two. So how does the community here respond in Nehemiah 9? Verse 2, they immediately turn and they make a drastic lifestyle change. They ditch the foreigners. They repent. In the New Testament, the Greek word is metanoeo, 180 degree turn, about face. I'm walking this way, I stop, I turn, I go back this way. Once you recognize sin, you drop it and you run in the other direction. Repentance is not a step that you work up towards. Repentance is not step seven today. It's not step, step six. It's not step five. It's step two, remorse and then immediate repentance. For the follower of Christ, the question this morning really is as simple as WWJD. It's that simple. If the answer is clearly, what would Jesus do? Not this, then you stop it and you turn. There are not options about how we proceed. For all of us who have given our lives to Christ and received him in faith as Savior and as our Lord, our Master, then the answer is simply to repent, to turn from sin and to follow him. Acts 3, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sins. It is refreshing. Repentance is refreshing. It is so freeing. We don't have to wrestle with the emotional and the mental and spiritual turmoil of the world. Well, I could do this or I could choose that. No, it's easy. It's like walking into CVS or Schnucks or whatever and instead of 40 different types of cold medicine on the shelf that I sit there for an hour trying to decide between, there's just one type, and you know that it's the right type. You know that it's what you need. It's freeing. And some of you might be thinking, but that's un-American. We like our options. We like our supermarkets with 40 different brands. Repentance is un-American. I mean, seriously, think about this this morning on Labor Day. This country was founded on the idea that no one can tell us what to do. We will vote for ourselves, thank you very much. And then here comes Jesus saying, sorry, with me you don't get a vote. It's my way or the highway. If, you're not ready, if you don't want me as your Lord and Savior, if it's not my way, then you're not worthy to be a disciple and to follow me. But guess what? I'm good. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm worth following because I know what's best for you and I love you and I care and I want, I, I want what's best for you and I will make it happen for you. Romans 8, 28. There's freedom in surrendering your right to choose in favor of my good and perfect will for your life. Friends, we have absolutely no idea what is best for us in most circumstances in our lives. If you're a believer here this morning, we have to be able to admit that. Praise God that he knows 
what's best. Praise God that he promises to accomplish it if we will just surrender. Repentance means turning back to him for the answer. And praise God that he makes that answer so abundantly available to us. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. And so I want to give you a moment again this morning to look back at what you've written in your bulletin. What would it mean for you to repent today, to turn from that sin? Maybe you've already stopped sinning. That's great. What would it look like for you to go beyond ceasing to sin, stop, stop, to go beyond stopping to walk down the wrong path, but to actually turn and walk back towards the right path, the narrow path? So I'll give you a moment to, to think and pray about that and write out again, what is an action step? Personalize it for you and your sin. Repentance is action separating yourself from the foreigners, apologizing to the person you've offended, deleting his number from your cell phone, flushing the pills down the toilet, whatever it is for you, it is action, that's repentance. And so what is that action step for you this week? Take a moment and pray, write it down. Movement number three of confession is remember. We remember. We hear in verse two, they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And how do they confess? Verse three, with scripture. They stood up and they read from the book of the law of their Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. I imagine them flipping back through and finding the exact parts of the law that they struggle with the most and then asking Ezra and Nehemiah, would you read this for us? And then all the non-law parts of the Old Testament, the narrative sections, they summarize it in their prayer in verses 6 through 37. The community, they retell their story to remind themselves of both their sinfulness and God's faithfulness through the ages. And the takeaway for us is after you've experienced remorse, after you've faithfully repented, next you remind yourself from God's word of what the right course of action is and of God's faithfulness to forgive. Discussed this the last two weeks now. Scripture is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. God doesn't leave us in the dark about the right path. We return to him, we repent, and turn specifically back to God's word. God's word, that's how we know the right path. The Bible is not only essential because it assures us of God's loving faithfulness, his forgiveness, the gospel, but it's also imperative for rightly being convicted of our sin, for being broken of our sin and our need for a savior in the first place. Here is yet another reason, as if we needed one, to listen and read attentively and study carefully and memorize diligently and remember God's word. And so, this morning, as you look back at your own sin in the bulletin, can you remember the scripture that specifically speaks to the nature, the consequences, the causes, the dangers of your sin that reminds you of the way back to the right path? If you don't know scripture well enough yet to be able to recall verses to, to mind and write it down, that's okay. That's why you're here. We're gonna help you with that. I would, may I just suggest, our life group is reading through the book of Matthew right now. I can tell you the Sermon on the Mount is a good place to start. Chapters five through seven of Matthew. If you struggle this morning with Pride, licentiousness, anger, people-pleasing, the idol of comfort, timidity in living for Christ, antinomianism, lust, marital problems, lying, retaliation, failing to love people well, giving selflessly to the needy, prayer, fasting, materialism, anxiety, judging others, failing to hold other believers accountable, self-righteousness, treating others as if you, you want them to treat you, living out your faith in your actions, or trusting Jesus fully for your salvation, there is a good word in Matthew 5-7 through 7 for you. That's three chapters. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. I promise we can find scripture that speaks to your sin struggle. 
find it, read it, study it, memorize it, and remember it often. Write it down now if you can. Write it down. You need to go back and look, ask people, search, go back and fill that in more later, do that. Movement number four of confession is to reveal your sins. Verse three, for another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Notice here, their confession is their worship. We enlarge the cross as we confess our need. We make much of Jesus and worship him as we assign him more worth through our confession. And reveal, I think, is a perfect word for it this morning. What do, what do you guys think of when you think of that word reveal? I know for me, I, I think of like that moment in um, Extreme Home Makeover where they move that bus and the big reveal and the family finally gets to see the new house. Um, it's to uncover. It's to lay bare. Lay bare. Maybe the better word picture there is the big reveal on an episode of Jerry Springer or Maury where he reveals the secret sin he's been hiding from her for all these years, or she reveals the results of the, the pregnancy uh, paternity test. It's, it's to lay bare. Look back with me at verses 33 and 34. Not back, but forward. Nehemiah says, You, God, have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments. Now note there the two dimensions of the confession. There is a personal dimension, verse 33, we have acted wickedly. God, I have done wrong. I'm owning up to this sin. But then there's also a corporate dimension in verses 34 and 35. Our people have sinned in all these ways. Before I even existed, here's the story of the Israelites and all the ways that they sin. And in many ways, there was a family pattern of sin emerging that I inherited. This is like when God says in Deuteronomy 5, 9, that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. I don't think that's God being vindictive arbitrarily. I think that's God just making a statement of fact about the nature of generational sin. God is just saying, look, this stuff has a way of running in the family if, you, if you're not intentional about cutting sin out of your life. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have a family history of alcoholism, of addiction, of substance abuse, of adultery, of sexual immorality, of short tempers, of strong wills, and we all know what that's code for. Verbal abuse, emotional abuse, emotionally distant fathers, emotionally enmeshed mothers, Sibling rivalry or conflict, materialism, greed, the love of money. We could go on. This stuff is generational. If we're not incredibly intentional, it just gets recycled and repackaged and passed down from one generation to the next. You will either be just as emotionally unavailable to your kids as your father was to you, because that's all you've ever known, or you'll react against it and swing the pendulum so far in the other direction that you become overly involved and look to your kids to give you the identity and the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment out of life that you wish you had gotten from your father and that really now you should be getting from your heavenly father. That's the way this stuff works. Am I wrong, Taylor? No. And understanding that and confessing all of that isn't the same as excusing it. You're not saying it's okay that I prioritize my work over my family because that's what my dad did to me. You're not excusing it. No, you're confessing it as sin, as something that you want God to come in and change. You want the family pattern to stop in this generation and change. But sometimes in order to do that and invite him in, you have to identify that this problem is bigger than just you and your personal sin. Maybe it is. Maybe it is a bigger system, a cycle. And the first step in breaking that cycle is admitting there's a problem, confessing it, revealing it. Whether it's personal or corporate or both, it's a problem. Confess. And so I give you another moment this morning. Think about the sin that you wrote down on your bulletin there. What are the personal elements of that that you need to personally own up to? I'm not putting this on anybody else. This is me, my sin. And what are the corporate elements? 
What are the parts of that that, that you, you say, you know what, this might go deeper, this might be more far-reaching than just my personal sin? Do you need help identifying the root source of the problem? Go to the source, God's word. Ask others for wisdom and counsel. We're identifying this morning so that God can help break the cycle. Take a moment and do that with your sin in your bulletin there. all of this. Take it with you. Don't let the conversation stop this morning. Take it with you. Talk about this stuff at home. Find someone you can talk about it with, and that's where we're going right now. In Nehemiah 9, they confess their sins together, collectively. James 5 tells us, remember, confess our sins to one another. It's, it's one thing to admit stuff to yourself, to reveal it to yourself. It's another thing to, to say it out loud to someone else. Anyone that's ever been a part of counseling on either side of the couch knows that. So I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor, but I will ask you this morning, would you write down the name of somebody that you can confess sin to? Write down the name of someone who you can trust. Maybe it is the person sitting next to you, your spouse, your best friend. Maybe it's a pastor, me or Gary. Confidentiality, all is there. A counselor, a friend. Write down the name of someone that you can confess sin to. And I encourage you to do that this week. Do it this week. And maybe you think, well, this is silly. The first sin that I thought of when, when you asked at the very beginning of this was I blew up at my husband yesterday for not taking the trash out like I asked him to. And we've already reconciled and we've resolved it. Okay, but here's the thing. If we actually obeyed God and we actually confessed to one another and took his word seriously and did it, went through the process of scheduling a meeting, picking up the phone and calling someone every time we sin and confessing it out loud to someone, of owning up to our sin, how often would you be blowing up and having that same argument, that same fight every single week? Two weeks later, a month later. I think this gets at this whole word of accountability. That's, that's what we're talking about, accountability. Don't, add, don't raise your hands, but do you have a regular, weekly, daily as needed, I sin daily, accountability partner, someone that you can confess sin with, we have to. We have to. I think it's just really clear in Scripture. We need this. Our sin is too dangerous. Our sanctification is too important. It's not enough to be hearers of the word alone, friends. We want to be doers of the word, putting it in practice, obeying it, living it out together. We need each other. So put, put someone's name down there and follow up. Movement number five is to recognize your need. Verse four says, they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Listen, this is in many ways the kicker. Like This is the, the turning point in the sermon. It is, it is not enough to feel bad about your sin, to turn from your sin, to remember God's way instead, and to reveal your sin and own up to it. You can do all of that. There are plenty of people out there that do all of that, all the four, first four steps of confession, and listen, they will be stuck in the same cycle of sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess with the same sins for their entire lives until they understand step number five, movement number five, the answer to your sin problem cannot be you. It cannot come from you. You cannot muster up the strength and the self-determination and the self-will and the self-control to fix your sin problem on your own. You can white-knuckle it on your own as long as you want to, but eventually, you will prove to be no match for sin and for Satan. Satan, I promise, is more powerful than anyone in this room. But friends, the good news this morning is that there's someone who is more powerful than him. Someone whom Satan and sin, indeed hell and death, tremble at his name and prove to be no match. His name is Jesus. And if you are stuck in the sin cycle this morning, you need to know that Jesus can break 
that sin in your life. Whatever you wrote down, no matter how small, this little tiff with my, my spouse, no matter how big, a pattern of addiction that's been there for 40 years, I don't care, Jesus is big enough to break it. In his resurrection, we are reminded, Romans 6, 1 Corinthians 15, we too can be raised to new life with him. 2 Corinthians 5, the old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You can be made new this morning. Do you believe that? You can be made new this morning. But only if you recognize your need for him. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom where the first are last and the biggest winners are the quitters. Every other religion out there says, here's a long list of things that you need to do to fix yourself, to live your best life now, to, to earn your own salvation in the afterlife, and then here comes Jesus again saying, my list is short. Surrender. Give up. That's all you need to do. Actually, that's all you can do. Just give up. Admit that you have absolutely no power to save yourself and that I alone can save you. I alone have the power. Let go and let God. All you need is need. All the cliches, they're all true. But Jesus has two conditions. Luke 9 is the first one. If anyone would come after me and be my disciple, he must first deny himself. Die to yourself. Surrender. Give up. And condition number two is to trust Jesus instead, John 3, 16. Whoever believes in him, believes in him, trusts in him, puts their faith and their hope, their life in his hands, will not perish but will have eternal life. So we cry out with a loud voice to our God, just like the community did in Nehemiah 9, help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. I need someone. Jesus. Isn't that, that's how the song should go. I'm trying to rewrite songs every week with you guys. How is Jesus inviting you today to trust him more with the sin that you wrote down in your bulletin to go beyond remorse, repentance, remembrance, and revealing to actually recognize your desperate need for a savior? Maybe some of you have been struggling with this sin cycle for a long time and you have no victory over that sin, it's been a part of your life for a really long, long time now. How is God inviting you, begging you, let me have it, give it to me? What, do, what would that mean for you to do that this morning? Rely on me, that, that'd, that'd be another good R word to add to the list. Recognize your need, rely on him to break the cycle. What would it look like for you to do that? I can't answer. That's the question you want to leave here this morning, praying and asking him for yourself. God, would you show me how to surrender this morning? Show me what it means to give this sin to you this morning, to trust you to save me. Father, I, I give up. I surrender. I can't do it. I need you to break the, the power of sin in my life. Would you, would you do that as you leave this morning? Movement number six. Revere God. Revere God. Once the community has turned from their sin and trusted in God for their salvation, now they can sing his praises in verse 5 and say, Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And most of what follows, their prayer, that lengthy prayer, is an expression of reverence and worship for God's great faithfulness and mercy throughout the ages. We, we won't read all of these, but, but we'll, I'll, I'll post this online and you can read them later, verses 6 and 8 and 9 and 12 and 13. It's just a lengthy prayer of praise. Thank you, God, for your covenant faithfulness. And let's skip to the last one, Karen. Even in their present cries for help in verse 33, their present affliction, they cry out and they bless God. And they say, yet in all of this, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. It's confession, but it's praise. God, you are so faithful and righteous. 
even in sending hardship on us. Friends, don't forget this morning, the primary function of confession is always to enlarge the cross, to bring us back to Jesus, his sufficiency. A greater understanding of our sin and God's holiness leads us to a greater appreciation of our Savior. Confession must always move us through remorse and focusing on ourselves and our wrongdoing towards a greater reliance on him, not only for the forgiveness of sin, but for the power to overcome future sin as well. And insofar as Jesus promises and provides that kind of forgiveness and power to us, the end of our confession should always be worship. The end of our confession is worship. Worldly grief and confession produces death. Godly grief and, re- and confession produces repentance, which leads to salvation. And for salvation, we praise God. So, as you go, and as you ask the Lord to reveal in what ways do I need to rely on you more? Do I need to give this sin to you and trust you to bear my sin? As you do that and as he is faithful to his promises and he takes it and he redeems and he restores, would you give him praise this week? Give him praise that he is a God who doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin in the past. That would be enough to praise him. That he doesn't just promise to break the power of that sin in your life as you are sanctified from now until your death and you surrender and let him take that sin as if that wasn't enough. But he promises to free you one day from all presence of sin with him in heaven for eternity. That's, does anybody in here deserve that? I mean, that is why we praise him this morning. That is why we revere him and love him respond in worship. And lastly, number seven, resolve. Resolve. Kids, I'll give you credit for renew or recommit. At the end of chapter uh, nine and verse 38, the community prays, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Next Sunday, Gary will be back with us and he will unpack the specifics of their covenant in chapter 10. But this morning, I want to conclude by inviting you to do this with me if you would. Just as there is something powerful about writing down and naming your sin, just as there's something powerful about vocalizing it and admitting it out loud to another person, so too I think there's something powerful about committing, and not just committing, but covenanting to a new course of action in the future. The old is gone, the new has come. I believe God can rescue me not just from the past penalty, but the future power of sin. And Christ died and rose to accomplish it. If you believe that this morning, I want to end by giving you a moment to actually write it out. And you can sign your name and you can seal it with a stamp like they did to make it official in verse 38 if you want. But what will you resolve to do differently in the future with the Lord's help and empowering of his Holy Spirit? That's the huge caveat. Because again, you cannot do it in your own strength. This has to be with the Lord's guidance through prayer and discernment. This is with the Lord's strength being made perfect in my weakness. This is how I want to to move forward and recommit myself to him this morning. If you believe, if that's you, if you need to recommit to him this morning, would you do that personally, privately, as you confess, write it down. I want to resolve this morning not to try harder on my own, but to let go and to let God. Encourage you to do that this morning. You take a moment. And I'll end with this, friends, the good news, that even if you fail, next week, this afternoon, in the car on the way home, you're already back to sinning, 
back to the thing that you wrote on the bulletin, you prayed about and you committed to. And if you don't mess up in that way, if you don't fail in that way, don't worry, you'll find new ways to sin. Even still, go with the good news this morning that the covenant that we renew with the Lord this morning is not the old covenant that Nehemiah's people renewed. The new covenant of a New Testament people made in Jesus' blood was signed and sealed by Christ on the cross. And no amount of sin now on your part can ever nullify that covenant. Amen? That's the good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for good news. We thank you for a covenant that we don't have to keep because you've already kept it and signed it and sealed it with the precious blood of your son on the cross for our sake. Father, if there's anyone here who is trusting in themselves to keep the covenant, to overcome the power of sin, to white-knuckle, to muster up the strength. Father, if there's anyone here who's tired of that and needs to know that there is an easy burden, a light yoke that can be theirs this morning, I pray that you would draw their attention and their focus, their heart to you right now. If there's anyone here it's tired and needs to give up and surrender. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict them and move in this place and move in their hearts to see you for who you are and see themselves for who they are this morning in a different way for the first time. Give them just enough strength admit their weakness. Father, for all of us who are weak, who continue to sin, who have been saved by the blood of your Son, but still, like a a proverb says, like a dog, go back to our vomit, our old sinful patterns and habits, would you convict us too this morning? Would you break our hearts in the way that your heart breaks over sin? And would you also comfort and reassure our hearts of the good news of Jesus and his atonement? Father, help us to trust more fully in you this morning. Give our sin to you. Rely on you. For our good and your glory, we pray. Amen.